Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you alongside reporters to talk politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national political reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. You and I have been talking quite a bit about how early voting has really changed how campaigns and candidates try to message to voters. Yeah, so after the election this year, it seemed like it went on and people are trying to figure out what's happening and why. And there's all this talk about early voting and whatnot. And it just seemed like there's still a lot of public misunderstanding about how this process worked. And it just seems like it was ripe for a little bit more discussion beyond just us chatting. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. If you felt as though you were being stalked by Republicans and Democrats and outside groups that were trying to sway you one way or another, you were absolutely right. So to really understand this, you have to understand early balloting. Early balloting started in uh, Arizona in the early 90s and really began to pick up steam once the Service Arizona system was rolled out in the MVD. Uh, as soon as uh, people could register to vote online, all they had to do was check a box and say, yes, I want to be in the permanent early voter system. And that's when things really started to take off. That was Garrett Archer. He's a senior analyst for the Arizona Secretary of State's office. During election season, it's his job to watch all of these early ballots come in. And obviously, he doesn't know how people voted. But what he can tell us is the propensity for which Republican-affiliated voters, Democratic-affiliated voters, and Independent-affiliated voters are returning their ballots. So we're here with Garrett Archer. Garrett, thank you so much for joining us here today. A lot of people know you by your Twitter avatar and your name, AZ Data Guru. Thank you so much for having me. You're the guy that everyone had on their Twitter notifications. Uh, I think your audience must have grown by several thousand as people across the country were watching you post your Twitter takeaways and uh, the Maricopa incoming, a reference to the votes that were about to be posted on the Arizona Secretary of State site. So what do you do there? So um, during election season, what I do is I develop a uh, early ballot dashboard to track the early, ball- early ballots as they come in for the 28 days prior to the election. As these ballots are fed into the system, uh, we put out a public dashboard for people to analyze the data, follow the trends, pick up any signals, and then uh, that continues for the 28 days prior to the election. And then um, on election day, uh, which is, this is actually quite new this year and it was quite exciting, we actually are able to feed data or at least information out to the public on uh, the party breakdowns in Maricopa County uh, for who's actually voting at the election uh, on election day. And then um, on election night, that's that's when I just be kind of come a shot caller. I uh, uh, just... Basically, you're everyone's Sherpa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we do that for the entirety of election night up until uh, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then, uh, and, and then we begin the early ballot chasing, which is uh, the, the process of collecting information from the counties as far as their estimates of what's remaining, uh, and then tracking those estimates, uh, maintaining a uh, tracking sheets to make sure that we get as close as possible to whatever the, the final outcome is. For people not necessarily familiar with your Twitter feed, 
Garrett does this wonderful service where he starts to put out information about early returns as early ballots are coming in. And so this is information that gives folks a sense of how many votes have come in, have been received on that day, how many come from Democratic-affiliated households, how many from Republican-affiliated, and how many from unaffiliated voters. And it gives everyone kind of a good baseline of what the performance of voters might look like that year and maybe potentially what to expect. I know I was asking you to read into some of this information. I cannot imagine what your cell phone looked like for, what, the last month or two with this. Can you kind of take us behind the scenes? Sure. So um, during the early ballot period, I have data coming in from all 15 counties I have a direct feed to the 13 counties outside of Maricopa and Pima, that, so I get that data actually real time. Um, and what, what's happening, so let me just go through some of the pr processes first, just so that you understand where this is coming from. As these counties receive this data, uh, they scan the affidavit envelope. Once they verify that the signature is, in fact, that voter's signature, they scan the envelope remove the uh, ballot from the envelope and the ballot is accept accepted for tabulation. So at that point, um, the I now have a record from the county that this voter this voter's ballot has been accepted for tabulation. So now this, this, this person gets moved into a table in a database that says, yes, you've been accepted, but then I can also go back to the registration record and see uh, what party they're from, uh, what their age is, uh, how often they voted. Um, but and then, not who they voted for. Oh, absolutely Let's just be not. very please, clear. Please make sure, yes, that we, we have no idea. Once, once the ballot is removed from the envelope, it, it, it becomes randomized, and there's no way to uh, determine how they voted. So we, we, there's the whole um, process of what happens before Election Day that we've seen a shift in. It seems like there's also a shift now in after Election Day, the, the period of time that it takes to process all these ballots. Um, a lot of people, especially nationally, who only tuned in because of the Senate race this year, wondering why it took days to understand who was winning that race, why it, it wasn't just called immediately on Tuesday. What has changed? What is it that, that has dragged out Election Day uh, balloting to, you know, a week later? Uh, the dirty little secret is it's always been a week later. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just when we have close races, people understand that it's a week later. But if the race isn't close, people have already moved on. The AP called the race and, and the, the, the counties can count their ballots in peace. But uh, this year, obviously, that wasn't the case. Uh, it, it usually does take the counties to process these ballots, uh, uh, about a week to process these ballots. Um, what, what, what is the vast majority of these ballots that are being processed a week after the election are uh, ballots that are turned in on election day. So these ballots that are turned on election day, these are early ballots that are still in their affidavit envelope and they're turned in. Um, they have to go to central count and they have to undergo the exact same signature verification process that the counties have been undergoing for the last 28 days. So what we're asking them as a state is, county recorder, thank you very much for allowing me to, to drop my ballot off because I didn't mail it to the post office. I either cho chose not to or I forgot to, but regardless, I didn't do that. So please now count this ballot in, in I want this counted in a day, even though it's taking you a week to count the exact same amount of ballots. So, I mean, it's just a resource issue. They, they're doing, they're, they're going as fast as they normally go, but it just takes them a week to process, you know, a quarter million, half a million ballot ballots. What we wanted to understand is how we got to this point where we are now, where we have near real-time data in terms of who's participating, where they're coming from, that sort of thing. 
Um, how how long has the election shape and, and the uh, understanding of these early ballots been going on here? Early balloting started in uh, Arizona in the early 90s and really began to pick up steam once the Service Arizona system was rolled out in the MVD. Uh, as soon as uh, people could register to vote online, all they had to do was check a box and say, yes, I want to be in the permanent early voter system. And that's when things really started to take off. Since Arizona began its early voting um, system in the you know 90s, many decades ago, uh, it's taken off. People are using it more and more as uh, a source of convenience. I mean, I know for me, you know, every, we all have busy lives, right? You sit down at the table, you do it, you get it in the mail, you don't have to worry about standing in lines. And that has led to, what, like 75% of the electorate casting their votes by mail-ish? Yeah, we, we are now currently at 75 to 80% of the electorate will uh, cast a ballot via an early, early ballot. What we saw is that... Uh, over uh, campaigns didn't really start to modernize until about uh, the year 2000, and that was kind of a, even even by today's standards, uh, the modernizations that occurred in 2000 were still quite primitive to where we are today. So talk about that a bit. What is it that has changed since 2000 and has really kind of picked up in in more recent cycles? We've seen a. Uh, convergence of the data into centralized sources. And that is both on the government side and the uh, uh, campaign operative side. Um, on the government side at the Secretary of State's office, uh, there was uh, uh, prior to a certain, I think it was 2004, uh, the, the database was 15 separate county databases. And then we uh, that database got centralized into 13 county databases plus Maricopa and Pima, which we have a connection with. And then behind the scenes, these campaigns, I mean, they know that these campaigns have fundamentally altered the way they are trying to reach these voters. Absolutely. So yes, going back to the uh, centralization of data, uh, back in uh, uh, the 2000 to the 2004 period, uh, the Republican Party went through a, a pretty uh, radical transfer transformation of its uh, collection of voter registration data. Um, and they actually nationalized the system. Uh, and that gave uh, the Republicans at the time uh, sort of a distinct advantage over the Democrats because the Democrats had not done that yet. And so during the 2000-2004 election, uh, going to Arizona, they, they, they had this data for all candidates at every level to utilize uh, who was on the early ballot system, who was not on the early ballot system, so they were able to utilize it. Now, going forward to 2008, uh, the Obama campaign uh, truly, truly modernized the way that uh, data in, in politics is is modeled. Uh, and we're still kind of operating within the sphere of what the Obama campaign created in 2008. And so that essentially every single candidate uh, of every party now has uh, uh, a just at this data at their fingertips that they can exercise and utilize and and they now know because of some of the things we've done at the Secretary of State's office you know they now know when people have voted they can clean those those people off their list so they're no longer uh, looking at them they can start modeling this data as it comes in to see where their position might be and they can do this at all jurisdictional levels it's it's pretty tremendous where where we've come now as far as early balloting. I mean, essentially these these campaigns can get very very close to what they think the final result is going to be based on what the early ballots say. So, what does that mean for voters at large? Uh, if you haven't voted early, can you expect more contact? Do the campaigns say, ah, eh, they're probably not going to vote? How how do they interpret that? 
So early in the 28-day uh, cycle, uh, yes, you, you will get a lot of contact if you're on the early ballot list. They, they do have their modeling, both parties, so they know who they're trying to contact. It's very expensive to contact voters, so these parties are, are, are doing their best to contact their most likely uh, early voters. As time goes on and people start to vote, they start the, the responsible campaigns. This is usually the statewide campaigns. <laughs> the, more, the, the ones that have a little bit more money, they, they will clean off the voters that have already voted so that they can start targeting other tiers and other layers of voters. Can I just interrupt real quick? I think that there were a lot of irresponsible campaigns <laughs> that were targeting my household yes. because they clearly were not tracking that I had returned my That's, ballot. That is correct. There are uh, other campaigns that don't do the uh, homework for, for pulling people off the list. So how different are the parties at this point in terms of what they do uh, in that, that period when there's voters out there, they're trying to find the ones uh, that they haven't reached yet? Um, do the Democrats do it one way? Do the Republicans have their own strategy? Or are they all pretty much doing the same thing? Send out the, the you know, the text messages or the mailers or... Well, here, here's here's the uh, the interesting thing about that. So this is uh, being that I, I didn't work in the the campaign cycle this year. I can only uh, say this from from what I observed in the data. Um, prior to, to 2018, I would have said to you that the uh, campaigns essentially chase after these voters the same way. Uh, this year, however, I will submit to you that based on what we saw in the last few weeks of the early voting period, that the uh, Democratic Party. Uh, put a tremendous amount of resources on the ground uh, to actually chase these people door to door to get them to bring their ballot in because they, uh, especially in certain regions of the county, uh, they performed uh, better than I've ever seen as far as turning these ballots in. Uh, we're talking uh, in in areas there where there's, they have a uh, uh, you know three or four point registration disadvantage to the Republicans and they were beating Republicans by ten points on certain days of turn-ins. Uh, this is like Chandler Awatuki. This is Chandler Awatuki. Is it is a swing area, but prior to 2018, um, it could be technically classified as more of a, a slightly Republican swing area. But this year, it, it just it, it collapsed on the Republicans. It completely turned purple. I mean, areas precincts in those areas this year with voters crossing over and uh, voting for both Kirsten yes. Cinema, the it Democrat, did, and, and, Doug and that's Ducey, actually a good point that they did. It did not collapse for. Doug Ducey at all. Uh, if you if you look at a precinct map for Doug Ducey, uh, you know, Ahwatukee and Chandler held essentially in the same levels that it held in 2014, but for essentially every down ticket Republican, it collapsed. Wow. So what does that mean for voters? So everybody's watching these numbers come in and, you know, they want to see what's happening in the movement. I mean, all these campaigns are working every single day to get people to come out and vote. And so they're wanting to see this, this movement. I mean, Elections themselves happen on one day. Election night, all that tabulation is what occurred on election day. But prior to election day, there's all these ballots coming in, and they want to track this movement so they can see if their opponents or their, their, their if there are Republicans, their Democratic opponents or their Democrats or Republican opponents are causing the needle in certain areas to move. Campaigns now have a pretty good handle on the early ballot process and and voters that are coming in. I think now, especially after what we saw. The next kind of chapter in, in Arizona campaigns is how do we 
really handle those election day early ballot drop-offs and election day voters. You know, Democrats are going to try to say, well, we have a great strategy now. We're going to we're going to push these last two weeks. We're going to put the gas hard these last two weeks and get our voters out. And Republicans are looking and saying, okay, we really need those those late early's. You know, the the, the bucket A, bucket B, McSally strategy. Now they want to make sure that that bucket B strategy actually exists. Materializes. Yes, materializes. And don't forget, it's not just your ballot that they're looking at. There's all kinds of other information, analytics that uh, both parties are looking at, and they have a host of information that would probably surprise you that they have. This early voting data is just one aspect of how campaigns and political operatives have growing sophistication in how they tailor their message or tactics to target voters. We can't forget how Cambridge Analytica harvested and used information about as many as 87 million people to influence them in the 2016 election. We're learning more about Cambridge Analytica and its mining of data on millions of Americans for political purposes. This is a story involving Facebook and a company called Cambridge Analytica, which I know sounds like a Harry Potter spell that does your homework, but it's actually a data analytics company dedicated to one thing. Beginning in 2014, many Facebook users were paid to take a personality test funded by Cambridge Analytica. So a survey that started with about 270,000 people ultimately collected more than 50 million profiles. It's amazing because I've been sort of following the work that Carol Cadwallader, the journalist who's been yes. doing all this stuff for, uh, I've been following her stuff on Cambridge Analytica for like over now, a year. Cambridge Analytica yeah. has always denied this and Facebook have refused to answer questions on it. When did Facebook learn that Cambridge Analytica's research project was actually for uh, targeted uh, psychographic political campaign work? Congresswoman, it might be useful to clarify what actually happened here. A well, no, I, I, I don't have time for a long answer, though. When did Facebook learn that? And when you learned it, did you contact their CEO? You might be saying, what do I care if Cambridge Analytica got my Facebook data? But the truth is, the truth is, in the wrong hands, our data can be used to do some pretty sinister things. Now, granted, the bombshell of Cambridge Analytica was the security breach of those who didn't opt in or take that particular quiz where the data was harvested from, but it was the start of a very public conversation about how our personal social media information or quiz answers were and are used for political purposes. This is now something we have to think about because this is just the new landscape and it's also what we search. So you may have had that creepy thing happen to you where you Google something or you put something in your search browser. Uh, you want to buy something off of Amazon or Target, and then all of a sudden you can't escape uh, those sorts of products. They're appearing everywhere in your social uh, media feeds. That's kind of the same thing that happens with campaigns. Very sophisticated campaigns have access to data that allows them to micro-target voters. So they could be looking at your viewing habits, your subscription habits, uh, the propensity for voting, how frequently you vote. And this is all the type of information that allows them to lay a much more sophisticated foundation for them to target you. So Yvonne, you mentioned earlier that um, things like viewing habits and such and search histories uh, are something that campaigns would like to know and, and will take advantage of. Can you give us some specifics as to what that really means? Sure. Like the, the campaigns that have a lot of resources and a lot of money, they will buy data. Uh, they will buy um, information that allows 
them to track what your consumer history might look like? Are you more likely to be a Target shopper or a Walmart shopper? How often do you eat out? What is your household income? What zip code or school district do you live in? Do you have kids? What's your age? Are you a man or a woman? What's the sign that you will be likely to vote? Have you voted before? Have you pulled a, a Republican ballot in the primary or a Democratic um, ballot in the primary? So they will use that type of information to assign you essentially what is a score to try to assess how likely you are to vote. Based on that score, they will determine how much of their resources, how much money are they going to dump into you to try to convince you to vote. And their score might indicate to them that you're not worth their money. And so they will move on to the next person. And uh, I think that those scores uh, are going to be key, especially in Arizona moving forward. If you're a low propensity voter, if you haven't voted in prior elections, I don't know that you will be targeted by Republican campaigns. And like we said before, early balloting is the new norm. This is how about three quarters of the electorate or more in Arizona will cast their ballots for these general elections these days. But it also has an effect on the way that the campaigns are out there trying to reach you in the first place. In short, they have less time to do it. Right. So in order to try to persuade people quickly and to try to convince them to get that early ballot in, some of the campaigns, especially the very sophisticated ones, their messaging becomes very um, aggressive. Sometimes it can become emotional. They are really trying to convince you to get that ballot and to put it in the mail. So they will do whatever it takes, whether it takes sending people to your door to answer any questions that you might have about their slate, whether it takes those pesky test, uh, text messages, phone calls, um, mailers. It's less uh, easy for them to, to, to keep hammering you with those mailers and reacting to the, the type of message that they may have to um, alter to get you to that place where you're ready to vote. Um, and the digital ads. I mean, those are very key ways where they can, you know, really try to reach you where you're at. So all of this sort of synthesizing uh, various analytic data, is this a bad thing for democracy? Is this bad for voting? Is it, is it annoying only? Or, or what do you make of it? I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just where we are. I think politics, like all things in the modern age, they're just trying to reach us where we're at. It seems like they're now doing what Target does and Walmart does all along. They are just treating us like commodities. So social media is how they target you and whether or not you cast your ballot will say a lot about why they keep targeting you. So the next time you look for a pink tutu on Amazon? Or the next time you're shopping for a BB gun for your nephew? That might be picked up by a campaign. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. Like always, if you have any questions, you can find us on Twitter. You can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And you can find me at Yvonne Winget. So just a quick little side note here. I'm going to be away for the next few episodes, so I'm leaving your ears in Ron's hands. I know you love them. Still, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter by text message or email. 
And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating. This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, and Kayla White. Thanks again. Tune in next week. Hey, Gagglers. It's your producers, Taya. And Taylor. We're going to do a special episode in December featuring questions from you. Are you curious what the state legislature will be doing this upcoming cycle? Do you want to hear from a particular reporter? Well, we want to answer those questions and curiosities. So here's how you can send in questions and possibly have your voice on the gaggle. Number one, you can call us at 602-444-4946 and leave your question on a voicemail. Number two, you can record a video of yourself and direct message it to Yvonne or Ron on Twitter, or you could just post the tweet and tag them. Remember their handles, at Yvonne Winget, that's W-I-N-G-E-T-T, or at Ronald J. Hansen, that's H-A-N-S-E-N. You could also direct it to the Arizona Central Politics Twitter account, with that handle being at A-Z-C Politics. And number three, you can record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us, your producers. Our emails are tseely at arizonarepublic.com. That's T-S-E-E-L-Y at arizonarepublic.com. Or Price at azcentral.com. That's T-E-A dot P-R-I-C-E at azcentral.com. So that's it. Send your questions over the phone, on social, and via email. And be sure to listen in the coming weeks to see if your question is featured.